eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Oh, right. He's a gladiator on the one hand. He's also just a young dad with kids trying to figure it out. And I went to a park with him in Los Angeles. You know, his young son, Connor Jr., was like on the jungle gym. And he's like, Connor's trying to be there to make sure Connor Jr. doesn't fall. But on the other hand, he's like, maybe he needs to fall. And I was like, oh, right. He's just like everyone else. Hey now, what's cracking? Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast, where I've got a very different kind of conversation on deck for episode 269, because this week I am joined by Emmy-winning filmmaker, documentarian, entrepreneur, director, producer, author, and podcast host, Gotham Chopra. Now, if you think that rundown is impressive, check this. He has collaborated with the likes of Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady, LeBron James, and now Conor McGregor for his latest project for Netflix, McGregor Forever. So in other words, he has collaborated with some of the most iconic people who have ever lived, and I cannot wait to pick his brain about that. So let's get right to the conversation. It's episode 269 with filmmaker Gotham Chopra, and it's coming at you right now. So I really, really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, Gotham, and to talk to you about your latest project, McGregor Forever. It's a new Netflix documentary series. My man, how are you feeling? How are things? I'm great. I'm great. Thrilled to be here. Um, I'm a big fan of yours, so it's a privilege. Well, it's awesome to have you here, and I'm a big fan of your work as well, and I love the subject matter, especially as it relates to Conor McGregor. Let me ask you this. You've said, quote, that he is the biggest international star that we have ever worked with, end of quote. It's quite a statement considering that you've worked with the likes of Tom Brady, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, to name a few. I mean, these are some of the most iconic stars ever. What separates Conor from these three and, frankly, everybody else in your mind? Oh, man. Like... Yeah, look, he's <laughs> he's entirely unique. I, first of all, he's a gladiator. I mean, that's, you know, I kept on reminding myself as I was working on this. He's not the easiest personality to work with, for sure. But, you know, what does it take for somebody to, for a fighter, to walk into a octagon or a ring with the, the, the battle is like one person's going to walk out. Two, two people walk in, one person walks out. That's the game. And that takes a special type of person. And trust me, like Tom's a warrior and Serena's a warrior and, and um, you know, LeBron is a warrior, but like the, just the violence, the physical, physicality of the sport that Connor, and it's, it's not a team sport. You're on your own. Like you can have the best trainers, best nutritionists, all of which Connor has, but when you walk into that octagon, you're on your own. And it's just like the mentality that it takes is entirely singular. 
I think you're so right. I've always felt that way. I think that they are a breed apart. Look, I think they're all different in what they do, and I think they are all warriors in what they do. But getting into that cage, stepping in that octagon, to me, is something totally different. I mean, to your point, somebody's going to walk out of there with a win, and somebody's going to walk out of there with a loss. But every single time they step in that cage, they literally are taking their life into their own hands. There is a risk of a loss of life. I mean, for instance... Losing is one thing, and that's a whole different thing. We can get into that because, to me, everybody in that sport, with the exception of Habib, loses. They just do. Everybody loses. It's inevitable. But having your ankle snapped early in a fight with the entire world looking on is something totally different. You were there when that happened. What did you observe in him in that moment? And then how did he react in the moments after that traumatic injury? Yeah, so it's it's fascinating, right? Because he... And people ask all the time, like, what is Connor like outside of the octagon? And is he the same person? And he's just, he's got these different personalities. Cause obviously you can't be that. You can't be the same way outside of the ring that you are inside of the ring. And yet all of them feel very authentic. Like, so you see him as the fight gets closer and closer, sort of becoming this different persona. You even see it in the lead up, like all the, chaos that goes into these UFC fights and the, the press conferences and everything. But he takes on this persona. And then in that ring, I mean, it's it just it's survival, like we're talking about. So I think in that moment, that injury, when that happened, you know, he was so amped up. You see it. You see it in the things he's saying. Um, and by the way, so is um, Poirier. Like, there's just like these different these these battlers these gladiators so he was sort of slowly just like coming out of that i mean it was just such hysteria hysteria there was obviously a lot of pain but you know we ended up rushing to the trauma center like in las vegas and you know it was it was just sort of chaos but i would say and then he flew back to la because his surgeon is here dr elitrage um within he had surgery pretty quick but like literally within hours i mean maybe 24 hours and that's the opening scene of the documentary he was thinking like okay how do i what's it going to take to get back and he was trying to convince dr elitrage and everyone else around him like they were saying hey connor it's a year until you can even think about this and he was like no 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 trust me six months eight months like the mentality is just like he's a fighter and no matter how many times he gets knocked down that sense of resilience, that willingness to get back up. I mean, that's the thing that's most impressive about him is just it's un, unquestioned. He's just always willing to get get up, no matter how you know hard he's been knocked down. You know, I was going to say to you, what is his single greatest gift? Is it a physical attribute or is it something else? No, he, I mean, he says it. So I'm just going to, he says it's like his mental game, which, by the way, is consistent with a lot of, you know, elite athletes, they'll all tell you, like, there's someone bigger, stronger, faster than me. There's somebody, you know, physically more gifted than me. What separates me is my mental toughness, my will. But that, you know, again, I, I that's Connor. It's like he says it's 100% mental for him. And um, I, I would also add to that it's his resilience. You know, it's funny because everyone else makes a big deal of him or anyone losing these fights. He doesn't. And there's this great little moment after he loses to Khabib, you know, he's in the in the locker room and Dana comes into the locker room. And as you'll probably remember, and a lot of people, there was, of course, like chaos after that fight, you know, dudes jumping into the ring and just all sorts of, you know, madness. And so you're back in the locker room with Connor and Dana's brings up, it's like, oh man, that was some crazy stuff that happened after 
And Connor just couldn't be bothered. He's just kind of like, no, I lost. That's all that matters. I just lost. And and you can, he's heartbroken, but he's also like, you can see it in his eyes. He's sort of trying to figure out like, how do I bounce back from this? He just, he just is, he says himself, like, if you're not willing to lose, then you shouldn't be in this sport because that's what the sport is. And so I just found that really interesting as like this iconic fighter that, you know, people debate where he belongs in the echelon of fighters, but like losing to him is not the end of the world. It's, it seems to be the end of the world to everyone else, but to him, it's just another sort of, you know, chapter in the book. And, and I thought that was pretty cool. I think that's really cool. And I think it's really interesting. Gotham, I think, but like I said, I think that in other sports, you know, the big loss, you know, people, it resonates more than the big victory. I'm sure that Tom Brady, who you've worked with, would say he thinks of the ones that got away more than the ones he won. I think any great athlete would tell you that. But I just think that MMA and the UFC in particular are different because, as I mentioned, everybody loses except for like Habib because there are so many different disciplines. There are so many different ways to get caught. It's inevitable. Everybody loses. So I don't think it is that big of a deal if you get beat in that sport. Now, Connor, you know, he's lost three of his last four fights. If you start to lose frequently, then that is an issue. But I don't think losing in and of itself is a thing. Where do you think he's at right now? As he comes back, like we know there's talk about a fight with Michael Chandler, and we don't know exactly when that might be. That's a very dangerous fighter. They all are. But Chandler is fierce, and he's very, very dangerous. Where do you think Connor is mentally and physically right now with, re- with regards to his fight? career going forward yeah well first of all i gotta you know you're so right about tom you know and i'm, I'm pretty close to tom but tom says all the time it's not the seven that i won; it's the three that i lost right you know that he remembers the most and you know he learned from the most and he's like without those three i wouldn't have the seven and so um i think that is a great an attribute of great athletes or great talents um, with Connor, I think that look, he's always going to talk a big game. He's he's the showman. He's the greatest showman, I think, in the history of the sport. We can debate where he is as a fighter, but he's kind of unquestionably, you know, the the sort of circus conductor, and that's why we love him so much. I think that he is mentally, since that is his sort of biggest asset, willing him back into that sort of psychology of like still fighting. I know he still wants to. I mean, the intent is there. The desire is there. But first, he has to sort of mentally get himself there because the type of training, I'm just how these guys train and Connor in particular. I mean, I've never been at a training session with him where he's like, you know what, guys, like, let's cut it short. I think I have everything I need today. Like, no, man, this guy all day, every day for weeks, months on end. And so I think to get to that place physically first has to get there mentally and emotionally. And I think he's on his way back. But, you know, it'll take time. It'll take time to get there. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. You know, before he suffered that traumatic injury, Dana White would come on my daily show and we would talk about this quite a bit. Dana would bring it up too. I didn't have to ask him. But Dana made a point of saying a number of times, it's one thing 
to literally fight your way out of, you know, for instance, Connor's environment and fight his way up and get there. But suddenly, in Dana's point of view, getting punched in the face for a living is not so appealing when you have $100 million in the bank. I mean, you spent years working on this doc. You spent a lot of time with Connor. Did you see any diminishment in his willingness to grind and work and endure that punishment once he reached a certain level financially? No, I mean, honestly, and again, it's like one of the great things about him. I, I understand the theory, of course, you know, um, but the just the level of training. I mean, look, we all had to deal and certainly he had to deal with all these like the pandemic. And we were, you know, out in Abu Dhabi and Dubai for like um, Fight Island. And so there was like a different level of training and isolation and stuff like that. But he he kind of like embraced it. It worked for him. And I. I think it's the same thing. Once you are committed to it, or once he is committed to it, I a different persona takes. He becomes a gladiator, and that hundred million dollars is not going to help you survive in that octagon. So you have to be all in. And I just think, like, I don't think. Look, he has suffered losses, but that's not for lack of preparation. Like you said, it's a tough sport with some really talented fighters that he's been going up against. So, you know, everyone else wants to win too. So, you know, I think, I don't think it's really changed him. I think it's, it's just getting to that place takes all of you and, and that takes time. You know, I'm really curious, given who you've been around and what you've done, I'll say it. When Connor first exploded onto the scene, and especially when he was at the peak of his powers, I thought that he was as compelling a figure as I had ever seen in my entire career in any sport. And I've done this for more than three decades. I mean, I was absolutely mesmerized, not only by his cult of personality, but in his ability to show up and perform on the biggest stages. Now, I'm not saying that he's the social activist that Muhammad Ali was, but if you put that aside and you just consider the buzz and the electricity that Connor generates, can you compare him to Ali in that regard? Yeah, man, look, he's iconic and he's singular and everybody feels, you know, has strong opinions on him, love him or hate him. He is, and he's a rock star. He shows up in a room and all eyes turn to him. And even like, you know, I have had the privilege of working with um, all of these other athletes. They all ask about him. Like they want to know, like, what's he really like? And what was it like working with him and stuff like that? So he's got that sort of charisma about him and, um, it's it's pretty unique and uh yeah he's he's special in that way you know the other great gift he has is is presence you know like when he it's it's look it's what's required being a fighter as we've said before you don't walk into that octagon unless you're all there like otherwise you're not going to survive and he's kind of that as much as a you know sort of showman as he is when he sits like when we he he sat for interviews and by the way it was like super hard to wrangle him at times but like when he sat he's like he's all there he's like He's engaged, he's listening, he's thoughtful, he's self-aware, he gives you good answers, you know, he's he's thinking. And I just thought like, wow, that guy's got this presence about him, um, which is I think why, yeah, he's he's comparable with the greats. So how did, what was your process in working with him on a project like that? I mean, would you take what you could get or is it your job? And I just say this, it's just a naive kind of point of view. I just don't know. Or is it your job to push him as hard as you can to get the best you can when you know that maybe he might not react? Like, how did you approach it? I mean, it's, it's a little bit of all of the above and, you know, my technique is why 
to the great, you know, chagrin of some of my partners, these things take forever because you have to play the long game. I mean, you can have all the plans in the world and the, all the agenda that you want. And then, you know, Connor's going to be Connor and there's ups and downs and ebbs and flows to the fight game, but there's ebbs and flows to people's personal lives. You know, in this case, you have a pandemic in the middle of everything. So yeah, you got to play the long game, but like, I mean, I would certainly say when I had him, I would try to keep him for as long as possible. I had the luxury of a co-director on this project who had kind of been in Connor's world for probably like four or five years. So a lot of the stuff we ended up using was like this incredible archive. Somebody who had built the trust with him. I built the trust over time. I mean, this project took us about three, three years. So eventually, you know, I, I kind of gained his trust and all of that and his inner circle. But there was a guy also, this um, Dara McCarthy, who's been working with him for a long time, who already had that. So as you'll see in the doc, like, He's with him and Connor Jr. He's, you know, with Connor and Dee, his his fiance at their um, gender reveal for their latest baby. You know, like, so there was a certain intimacy that we were able to plug right into, which was really helpful. So when Connor, did he sit down, I would imagine he has, when he sat down and he watched the doc start to finish, what was his reaction? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So, like, he... One of so that co-director I mentioned, his original job was Connor likes to document all of his training sessions because he likes he's a film geek. You know, he's like Tom Brady in that sense. He wants to watch the tape and he wants to he obsesses over his like technical, you know, things that you or I, I mean, maybe you because you're such a fight fan, but would never notice like he obsesses over just technique wise. So, but that was very different than like, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing. And, you know, part of like why I was brought on and, and I want to work on this. It's like, oh, oh no, we're going to, it's, this is not a vanity piece, Connor, but he signed up for it. And so he did watch, but he wasn't a guy who, you know, kind of, he's not a producer. He's not sitting there sort of giving you like orders on what stays or what goes. And I think that was really important. And so he was pretty detached. I mean, he's, he said he loves it. He's been doing some press out there. Um, he says, he's, you know, he likes it. But, you know, I, I, he did also, he says in a few places, like, well, I would have changed this and I would have changed that. But, you know, I'm kind of, the good news is it wasn't a vanity piece. He's not an executive producer on it. That was really important to me and, and to Netflix. And, um, you know, he's been a really good partner in that way. So, Gotham, what about you? For instance, like you said, and we know this about Connor, he's so polarizing. Like, you love him or you hate him. And you just said that he was kind of detached. As a filmmaker and somebody who works on something like this, are you also detached? Or do you have strong personal feelings about the subject? Yeah, I mean, look, you work on these things for this long. You you become, and part of it's not just getting to know Connor. It's getting to know the family, the the inner circle and yeah you do become i mean i'm not a journalist you know when i do these things i'm not some objective reporter you do you're you're a storyteller and you know like i went to all of those fights thinking like oh he's gonna win obviously i'm sitting with him watching him train he looks amazing you know i know how much it means to him so i went to all those fights hoping he was going to win and, and expecting he was going to win. And I mean, I will say like, and I've done this before and, you know, I'm probably closest to Tom Brady. I mean, I consider Tom like one of my close friends, but like losing is sometimes better for stories. So there is part of that that I'm always like, well, yeah, okay. I mean, it sucks that it happened this way, but 
you know, it's not the worst thing for our project. But yeah, you, you know, I, I got to know Connor and his kids. Like I went to the park a few times where that's like one of the things that it's like, oh, right. He's a gladiator on the one hand. He's also just a young dad with kids trying to figure it out. And I went to a park with him in Los Angeles with him and because he just called me and he's like, hey, I want to talk to you about some stuff. Why don't you just jump in the car? I'm taking the kids to the park. So we went someplace in Beverly Hills and Connor's just like a dad. He's like, you know, his young son, Connor Jr. was like on the jungle gym and he's like, Connor's trying to be there to make sure Connor Jr. doesn't fall. But on the other hand, he's like, maybe he needs to fall because that's what kids do. And then they have to find, figure out a way to pick themselves up. And it's like, and I was like, oh, right. He's just like everyone else. And that's sort of fascinating. Hey, now, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not a sugary snack, not an energy drink. We want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. That way it's tender and tasty, not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. What I'm saying is they take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and it comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? It's really fascinating. I've never really understood, especially in sports that violent, how they have that switch, right? There's, there's, They have to compartmentalize. You know, you have to be in the park. You have to be present. You have to be the father. You know, never mind the idiots that always want to test you. That's part of it. I'm sure they've all got stories about being in a bar and there's always somebody who wants to test you. But, I mean, when you have that switch and you have that violent career, I don't really know how they turn it on and off at will. Like, what if you go to throw the switch and the switch doesn't go? Or what if the switch goes at the wrong time? I mean, it's just, it's a mindset that I can't even begin to fathom. How about you? Yeah, it's, it's, I agree. I mean, some are better than others. You know, Tom is really good at that. Um, Kobe was sort of like really fascinating in that way. And Kobe was the one who said, no, there's no switch. You're always that guy. And Kobe said, I'm a serial killer on the court. I'm a serial killer off of it. I just hide it well, you know, like off the court. And so I think that's part of it. They sort of learn over time and, you know, more and more now with social media, like you just have to find ways to, to hide it, you know, to keep shielded off. It's also why they become so isolated or surround themselves with just people, you know, like this inner circle um, that's sort of barrier between them and the real world. But it's tough. It's really tough. And look, it's no secret also, like it doesn't always work. I mean, Connor's certainly had his mishaps off, uh, you know, outside of the octagon, his personal life and stuff like that. But, you know, you just keep working. The other thing I have to remind myself is like, oh, right, he's 30, what is he, 34 years old? Like he's young, like, you know, yes, old in the fight game or Tom Brady's ancient in the football game, but in human terms, pretty young guys, you know? 
Absolutely. So before you go, I'm glad you mentioned Kobe. Like I, I live in Orange County and Kobe and I are kind of friendly, kind of friendly, uh, friendly enough that I would be in my home office every single night prepping for the show. And then a few times a year, I would just get this random text from Kobe and it'd be something along the lines of, yo fam, let's go to hobbies. And I, I'm one of those guys that if it wasn't work related, I didn't really go out during the week because there was always another show that was the next day. But if Kobe hit me with that text, I would drop everything no matter what. And it was just understood. And I would meet him. And it was not like we weren't getting bleep canned. He just would, for whatever reason, and I never really understood it and I never asked why, but we would just have one drink, get Javier's and talk and get caught up. And I just, he was just so fascinating, man. He was so interesting. Like, how did you find Kobe personally? What was it like to work with him? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I mean, look, he was the first high-profile athlete I'd ever worked with, and I, to this day, say, you know, all of the success that I've had tracks back to him because he was singular. And people joke about it all the time. Like, Tom used to tell me, he's like, man, if you could, like, work with Kobe and Kobe could trust you, then I know I can trust you. So, like, it paid itself forward. But he was, you know, look, he was singular. He was a genius, an artist. Um, basketball just happened to be his canvas you know it's not surprising to me that he would send you those texts and that's what he did he's like he recognized people who were great at what they do and he would want to sort of get inside their heads get inside their brains I mean this is the legends that are out there the people he would call it you know whether it was Disney or artists or you know Pavarotti or whatever he would just randomly call these people be like hey can I you know grab a meal with you, can I have a coffee with you? And I'm not putting myself in any of those categories, but that's how our relationship started. It's like, I've heard about some of the stuff you've done. Let's let's talk, you know? And, and it, it was a friendship that evolved. But I also say the worst of times because, man, that guy drove me nuts. Like, you know, he was obsessive. You asked earlier about Connor and does he watch the tape? Kobe watched everything. Like he watched everything. He had an opinion on everything. He was combative on everything. It was, you know, it was he made us move the entire editorial operation to down to Newport into his office so he could sit there. He slept there at times, like overnight. I mean, he just drove us all crazy, but you know, that's the way he was. And I I learned a lot from working with him. I mean, it was it was incredible. That is an incredible anecdote. I mean, I'm not surprised by that at all, but it just shows that that's the way he approached everything. Everything, everything. That's incredible that he made you move the entire operation down here so he could watch it all. So then before you go, where does Tom fit into all this? Is he in between those two? Like how obsessive was he about the process and what was he like to work with? Yeah, Tom Tom is sort of, he's uh, in between and he is the person who like somehow has found the way to on and off switch. Like he's a mad scientist. So like, during the season or you know i would be with him with this throwing coach and he was like this mad scientist always trying to i mean this is a guy he's been doing for 20 years it's unquestionably you know the best ever no throw he couldn't make and yet he would always find deficiencies in his own kind of technique and that he was trying to obsess and i when i first started working with tom it was weeks after the greatest comeback in the history of football, you know, the, the Super Bowl against the Falcons, 28 to 3 and all of that. It was weeks later, he was in his backyard in Brookline, Massachusetts, with a helmet on, 
you know, with his dogs and kids chasing him around and trying to like figure out his throwing motion because he was unsatisfied and, you know, with, with how he played and he thought he could get better and all that stuff. This is like a obsessive compulsive person. But I would also say is like, I mean, he's like a great dad. He's a good friend. I mean, I just was with him for a week last week for a few days. He's, he's just, he's just a different animal. And, you know, obviously one of the greatest ever at anything. And so he's, I don't know, it's hard to compare him. He's definitely got attributes of the Kobe and the Connor and all that stuff. But at the same time, he's he's entirely different. So, so finally, do you think that he's at peace with the way his career ended? I mean, it's hard not to, you know, with all the speculation and Jimmy G's not right physically. I mean, if Mark Davis said to Tom, hey, Tom, we need you. We want you. Can you play this year? Do you think that he would consider it? No, I don't think so. I mean, look, I think he's really happy. He's got a lot going on in his personal life. His kids are growing up and he wants to be, and he is very present in their lives. You know, he and I have a, have sons the same exact age, 15 years old. And you start to see freshman high school, like how fast it goes. And, you know, Tom would keep on saying, even last year, he's like, you know, I, it's about time. His son is named Jack. Like I'm at Jack's games versus Jack's always at my games. And so I think that's where he is in his life. There's no question in my mind that he'll be out on those practice fields, like throwing and trying to outdo Jimmy G and and whomever else on the roster. But the one thing he's not going to miss is getting hit in the face by defensive tackles. And so I think he's pretty happy to be. And he's got a lot going on. I mean, everyone's seen it. Like he's got a lot going on in his business life. He's excited about all this ownership stuff. So I think he's pretty happy on the sidelines. But he'll be there competing, I'm sure or like during during the week. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. They, oh, they will find things to compete. They, you can't turn that switch off. You know, it's interesting that you've got a 15-year-old. We, we have two kids. I have one son who graduated from the University of Wisconsin in the journalism school just this past week or two weeks ago. Our other younger son is graduating from high school this week. And even though I'm a sportscaster by trade, you know, some of my fondest memories were watching those kids play baseball, high school baseball. And man, when it's gone, like our younger son played his last high school baseball game ever this past week. I did not expect it to hit me as hard as it did. And I found myself getting kind of choked up by it. You know, all those years, Gotham, you you take those kids around, they play little league ball, they play travel ball, you get them specialized training. And it's like some of the highlights of your life. And then all of a sudden it just stops. It just stops. It's really unique. I'm kind of giving you a heads up because that's what's coming. I'm in the middle of it. My son's a big basketball player and Taekwondo. And we've done... All that stuff, but I feel it, and I I can almost like see. I know it's three years away because he just he's graduating his freshman year right now, but um, I can see the finish line, and I don't want to miss it. And I mean, by the way, this is the stuff that Tom and I talk about. Like we talk about our kids, and we talk about our lives, and you know, like I sort of stopped talking. I'm an obsessive Patriots fan, so like once about the Patriots, that was hard for me. And you know, I just I I kept on working with him, and we did a lot of stuff, but like. 
yeah, it's, we're kind of, Tom and I are the same age and, you know, a lot of similar life experience. So by the way, congratulations to you. That's an incredible achievement with your oldest son graduating from Wisconsin. But, but yeah, it goes by fast and you just don't want to miss it. So thank you so much for saying that. Let me ask you, were you, were you a Patriots fan and obsessed with Patriots fan before meeting Tom? When were you, when did you become a Patriots fan? <laughs> no, I grew up in Massachusetts. So I go back to the Tony's. I don't even know how I was a fan growing up because my entire childhood, the Patriots were so not just like bad, but like almost like shameful, humiliating, like through the Victor Kayyem years and stuff like that. But somehow I, I was a big Bledsoe guy because, you know, Bledsoe and Parcells really changed the course of that franchise and craft, of course. And so, you know, I tell Tom all the time, I'm like, I was a Bledsoe guy. Like, you know, I was grateful, but like that was the guy. Um, but yeah, so I knew I was a fan of Tom's for a long time before I, I met him, which was probably now going back like 2014 or so. So, you know, he had already established himself, he used to spend his off seasons out here in Los Angeles, where I live now. Um, when I lived then, because um, his, his oldest son, Jack, you know, was here. And so Tom used to spend his off season. That's when I met him. And then over time built this relationship. But no, I was... I used to tell him all the time, I'm like, Tom, like, you've had it good. I suffered. I've earned the success. Ever since you showed up, it was all good. But like, I was here during the really lean Tony and Steve Grogan, Doug Flutie, Hugh Millen. Though, you know, I stuck around through all those years. So I've earned this. All right. No, you have earned it. I'm so glad you laid it out like that. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. So leave me with this thought. I'm so glad you told that story because, for, well, number one, I'm a huge Drew Bledsoe guy. That's a great guy. I love him. I love him. The, the reason yeah. I'm into sports is because my father was from Boston. My father went to Brookline High. My father went to BU. My father grew up in Newton. My father, somehow you made it out. He was one of the only Romes that made it out of Boston to California. Everybody else who tried got dragged back in, and I grew up in Los Angeles. I was born on the west side. Then my folks had a factory, so we moved to the valley but I got my love of sports from my Boston Boston bred father. So that's how I got into this whole thing. That's how I became obsessed with sports as a kid. But you somehow made it out of Boston, right? I did. And my experience is almost like the inverse of yours. So like, you know, my parents are immigrants. They came to this country from India in the early 70s. I'm the first person in my family ever born outside of India or South Asia. Um, my parents were not at all into sports. My dad to this day really doesn't know anything about sports. I wanted to introduce him to Kobe um, because Kobe was into meditation and stuff like that. My dad's you sort of in that world. And when my dad met Kobe, he said, oh, it's so great to meet you. Uh, I know you're a big star. I know you've won five Super Bowls. <laughs> Kobe great. loved that, by the way. He loved it. That's great. Um, but, you know, like growing up in Boston as a first generation American, sports, I mean, you know, from your world, but also from your father, it sounds like, I mean, it's 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 not sports, it's culture, it's religion. It's the name of my it's company. It's the religion, religion of sports. 
Yeah. So growing up, you know, Celtics, Red Sox, Bruins, Patriots, that was what made me American. And so it's just how I grew up. And it was the sort of cultural language and the spiritual language um, that I grew up with. And I've, you know, I haven't lived in Boston now. I left when I was 18. I went to college and I never, my parents moved. They couldn't wait for me to leave. Um, and then they moved actually out here to California. So I haven't lived there for well over half of my life. And yet, and I'm like the fact that I can talk to you right now is amazing because I'm still somewhat catatonic from the Celtics, you know, demise in game seven against the Heat. Um, I'm a huge fan. Like I'm just a huge fan, huge Patriots fan. I finally feel like we, I can move on with my life. I don't have to have any split allegiance with the Bucks anymore. Um, so, but yeah, like sports, as much as I work in it, like, and and you brought it up with your sons, like, you know, like we put our kids in these programs, not because we necessarily think they're going to become the next, you know, Tom Brady or Steph Curry or Serena Williams or Conor McGregor, God forbid, but because of what sports teaches them. And, you know, it's about resilience. It's about accountability. It's about all of those things. And that's why I love it. I still love it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I live and die and by the teams and, you know, this has been a tough spell with the Celtics and Bruins. But, you know, we'll get back there. No doubt. There's so many great lessons in that. Listen, I know, you may or may not know, I've talked to some of the principals in your company, and I'm so, so impressed with them. I've been wanting to talk to you and meet you. I'm so thankful for all this time. I did not mean to take so much of your time. But the latest project, McGregor Forever, is a tremendous watch. It's really, really awesome. Gotham, really nice to speak with you. Congrats on that. I know you always have something in the works, but I really do appreciate this time so, so much. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it. There's a very good reason why goats trust this dude. What a fascinating conversation with Gotham. I mean, seriously, who else can claim that type of insight on the likes of Connor and Kobe and Tom Brady? I'll answer that. Pretty much nobody. So my thanks to Gotham for making the extended time and for bringing it to the original side hustle. You see, that's the kind of conversation you probably would never find on the main hustle, and that's the whole reason for the side hustle. This is why we're about to hit episode 270. So if you missed any of the first 268, they all hold up. And if you want to be the first to know, every single time another episode drops, just smash the subscribe button. Do me that solid, and I will catch you right back here next week for episode 270. See you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.